and the more podcasts or, or books you read with millionaires where they interview millionaires and things, they say, basically all of them say, the more times you fail, the more time, more likely you are to succeed. So yeah. I've been here avoiding failure the whole time when it's really what I should have pushed myself through to be able to learn things more deeply and come out the other side. Welcome to Audio Life, the podcast where we tell your stories in your voice. Today, we continue our Storyteller series with part two of our Derek Martin interview. In part one with Derek, we talked about the best way to live a storied life. Don't be tied to a plan. Be open to any opportunity that presents itself, like cliff diving in Victoria or champagne dinners in Amsterdam. We also got into experiences with UFO sightings, encounters with ETs, and the invisible powers or energy that may connect all of us. Today, we're going to talk about how to find Bigfoot, possible werewolf sightings, walking through minefields, and I'm sure many more adventures Derek has had in his life. We're your hosts today, Gafour Masood and Carrie Purcell. Derek, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about it. Awesome. We're so excited to keep talking to you. Now, where we left off the last episode, it was clear we had just scratched the surface of the stories and adventures that you've accumulated through your life so far. Before I let Kafour dig into werewolves and other creatures, I just want to start with like a really general, have you ever taken a risk that seemed crazy at the time, but paid off in an unexpected way? Oh yeah, for sure. The one that comes immediately to mind is... um... You know, when I got out of school, I was doing freelance web development. I did that for about three years uh, while I was teaching web development at a college. And um, it was just very sporadic income wise because mm-hmm. it would be like, oh, you don't have any freelance clients right now, but also it's a new semester and you only have one course this semester. Last semester you had five. So it was kind yeah. of like, oh my gosh, what's going on? So I decided to look for like a full-time job. Um, which I had never had as a programmer. I just applied to like everything. I would stay up until crazy hours in the morning, like applying to things. I don't even know everything I applied for, right? I eventually stopped applying to jobs and just kept coding and, and doing the teaching thing. But six months later, I got a phone call. And they were like, hi, um, this is Industry Canada. You applied for a job we had um, about six months ago. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> like, I didn't remember, but I was like, yeah, yeah, I applied for that job. And they're like, well, um, we'd like to offer you the position uh, if you'd like it. And it's a six month contract. Uh, it's in the Philippines. Would you like to go to the Philippines for six months? And then I was like, yes, I'll do that. <laughs> like, I just said yes on the phone. Um, <laughs> and I didn't even know what the job was. But, um, they called me a couple of days later and they're like, yeah, oh, there's like some civil unrest there. Um, and now there's a travel advisory and we can't actually send you to Philippines. But how does Croatia hit you? And I was like, oh, yeah, fantastic. Let's go to Croatia. I don't care. Um, so, yeah, they were like, OK, well, we're going to bring you. We're going to fly you to Ottawa for the training. Um, it's part of this initiative called NetCore, which is like Peace Corps, but Internet stuff. And nice. yeah, I spent like a week in Ottawa doing training and then I went to Croatia for six months and um, they put me with a not-for-profit organization. I had to build some software for them, but 
it was interesting to see post-war Croatia. It was, there's a lot of activism yeah. there as a consequence of the war. And basically everyone who worked at this NGO was an activist. So I was living with, you know, or working with activists and anarchists all day, every day. And like, they know how to party big time <laughs> and they were super friendly and everybody's English was amazing. Like I was prepared for like lots of barriers, but, um, yeah, there weren't that many and it was just ended up being one of the best experiences ever. That's incredible. Yeah. I feel like with you, we're never going to cover all the stories you have to share. Um, but I, but I love that we just uncovered that one. I'm curious, like, I feel like in today's environment, post pandemic, uh, maybe they wouldn't invest in actually shipping you over for six months. Like, did you find a lot of value being there in person with the work you were doing? Personally? Yes. Yeah. Um, I got to meet some of the clients, which, you know, you realize how much of a shoestring budget they're working with. And, you know, Canada was paying my salary um, as part of like a, a foreign aid, foreign relations thing. So I was providing this work to that company for free. Um, on their yeah. Part. But just, you know, growing up in Canada, I had no clue what it feels like to be in a war zone, even when it's not a war zone at the time, you yeah. know, it's a, it had been a war zone, yeah. but, um, meeting people who had lived through it. Like there's this one guy who is like the most peace loving, like he won't even raise his voice ever. You know, he's just very quiet, very humble. You would think that he just kind of meditated all day, but, mm. um, he and his best friend were tasked with, um, protecting his village which was uh, in Macedonia. And uh, one day there was like a column of five tanks heading up the only road to his village, basically to destroy it. Him and his friend had to, they caused an avalanche like in front of the front tank and behind the back tank. Like they got some boulders to go down and block these tanks. And then they had to shoot the tanks with bazookas until they were all destroyed. Otherwise his, his village would have been destroyed. Like, you, and you go to his, to the villages around the countryside and there were still helmets on the ground, like more than 10 years after the war, like nobody had the motivation to pick them up. And it was just like, I have no idea what broken means, you know, yeah. That's the one that I got. Um, and for them to just be able to walk around and, you know, live a seemingly normal life after that is just like, and that was kind of a question I had, you know, you work with these people, you mentioned anarchists and activists, but on a surface level, how were they? Was it just like, you know, regular folks, just like you and I? Yeah. yeah. And that's the really... They were just like us. Um, but, you know, if if something needed doing, they would, like, they would just go and do it. It was as if, you know, if, if we were all opposed yeah. to some bill in the Canadian Parliament, you know, most of us would not go to a protest about it or show up on Capitol Hill. And these people would every single time. Like, mm. no question. Um, they would have the banners, they would be chanting the chants and, you know, holding people to it. But outside of that, it was like, do you want to go get a coffee? Like, <laughs> talk about the work we have to get done, whatever. It was just a totally different way of living. Also, the, their coffee culture was amazing. <laughs> like, I showed up for my first day of work and I was like, okay, where's my computer? What do I do? What do I get done? And they're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. First, we go get a coffee. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm thinking we'll walk to like whatever the equivalent of Tim Hortons is, get coffee, come back. And we walk to the town square 
And then there's like tables and chairs all over this town square and you just sit down and then the nearest cafe, a waiter comes out and takes your order, eventually comes back with the coffee. You sit there quite like peacefully and drink your coffee for like 30, 45 minutes. And then, then you walk back to the house. But then it's time for chocolate bar. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So everyone would take one piece of this chocolate bar. But um, yeah, it was just like, whoa, this is, this is different from Toronto. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah a lot of flexibility as well. You know, you were going to be posted up in Philippines for six months and then like, oh, wait, yeah, change. Now it's creation. You're like, all right, that's fine with me also. <laughs> um, yeah. I just want to ask you this one. Uh, can you tell us about a time when something went hilariously wrong? Hilariously wrong. <laughs> um, one time my friend uh, set me up on a date. This girl was very attractive and stuff, but like we went out on the date and totally didn't hit it off. Like it was a disaster. I have, I think it's maybe the only complete disaster of a date I've ever had, but it was really bad. 18 months later, uh, my friends and I all got together for this huge like dinner thing and we're at a restaurant and there's like 20 of us at the table and I don't even know everybody. And they got talking about stuff and somehow the topic of that disaster date came up and I was talking about it and stuff. And like, I didn't realize the girl was at the table. <laughs> the disaster of the date was what I remembered. I didn't remember her face. And it was just, she's like, yeah, yeah. Hi. She leans out and like, like that was me, by the way. And I was just like, oh man. <laughs> did she, did she at least have a chance to share her perspective and whether she thought it was equally disastrous? Um, I think our both of our faces were pretty red, and, and everyone just was like, "Let's change this topic as soon as possible." Fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm curious if you have a a failed experiment or project that's kind of a favorite one. Oh man, that's really hard to think about. This is one of the problems in my life that I'm trying to overcome. For so long in my life, anything that I tried to really came easily to me. At a certain point, I just got in this groove where I was like, only really going to try things that I knew I could be successful at. Mm. Because it was, you know, I didn't have to face failure or feelings that I couldn't do something well enough or whatever. Um, yeah. And I've been really stuck in that rut. Um, and so in a sense, there are many, many projects that I never launched because it would be like, you know, I build this whole website with all the backend infrastructure and all this stuff. And then it's like the 95% is done and I drop it before that last 5%. Not because I couldn't finish it, but I, and, and this wasn't consciously, of course, but I think yeah. that fear kicked in of like, oh my God, I've got to really, you know, either succeed or fail now. Like once I launch it, I'm going to find out either way. And yeah, I, I just kind of shut down at that point, much to the disappointment of, other people who I told the project about, um, told about the project. Um, so I'm trying to overcome that and I'm kind of forced into it right now because I don't have a job at the moment and I would like to maybe start a new career, but of course I don't know anything about how to do a new career. <laughs> it's like, I know this is the right thing to do. I know that's where my heart is pushing me to go, but I'm definitely going to fail along there somewhere because I have no idea what I'm doing. So yeah. I, you know, this is, kind of the start of a new adventure for me. Um, 
and I'm hoping maybe I can start it small and grow it while I still continue doing the things I've been employed doing for 25 years. But yeah, yeah. there's. Oh, a... thank you for sharing that. It's uh, yeah, it is almost funny because it's um, yeah, it's like the 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 fear of failure has actually prevented you from from moving forward with things, which in and of itself is is almost a a form of failure, right? A failure to complete that yeah. project or to launch it or put it out into the world. Um, and, and then also just the awareness of, as you said, doing it unintentionally, not, not even being aware of why you're doing it, but that you are now, um, and you're looking at this big transition. And, uh, so I, I think that's really, I think that's really great. I appreciate you sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. In the moment, it just kind of felt like I was running out of steam, right? Running out of motivation. But it was really like this fear was crushing the motivation. Um, yeah. But and the more podcasts or, or books you read with millionaires where they interview millionaires and things, they say basically all of them say the more times you fail, the more time more likely you are to succeed. So yeah. I've been here avoiding failure the whole time when it's really what I should have pushed myself through to be able to learn things more deeply and come out the other side. For sure. So there's a culture, you know. And uh, stigma attached to failure. People think, oh, if I fail, people are going to judge me, my family, my friends. They're going to laugh at me. I'm embarrassed. My brother has a really cool term. He, I don't think he created it. <laughs> I'm sure he's read it somewhere. It's called fail stacking. And uh, this is related into um, video games. You may have heard of one called Dark Souls, which is very, very big amongst the, the gamers these days. But it's incredibly hard. And most of the time is spent dying and failing. Um, so he says, the more times you fail, this is actually progress because each little small fail results in a tiny, tiny increment. But people say, oh, it's overwhelming. I don't want to play this game. I'm failing. But it's all about fail stacking. So keep falling on your face, keep failing. And that's actually how you grow. And we touched on it a little bit on the last podcast, but you shared some very brave and courageous stories. And so I think you're perfectly equipped to traverse the unknown and, and, and to face those failures. And I encourage you full heartedly. And this actually brings up a very important parallel. Um, you know, you talked about walking through a minefield, was it? Or something like that. So you've literally done that. In yeah. Life. Um, perhaps you could share a little bit about that, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that happened when I was over in Croatia. You know, I didn't have to work weekends and occasionally I would have like a week off or something because they gave me vacation. They were like, hey, we're not really busy right now. Why don't you just go explore while you're here? I said, okay, cool. So I bought a ticket, a train ticket or a bus ticket to uh, Sarajevo, which is in Bosnia nearby. Old Town Sarajevo is amazing. I just went there and didn't know where I was going to stay or anything yet. But um, uh, I saw these little signs on, on, they weren't telephone posts, but something like that. And this guy was renting out a room. And I said, okay, I'll call this guy. And he met me at the by the fountain in Old Town and um, took me and showed me his house. And he made me some Turkish coffee because, like, that's what they make there. He made the coffee in an old emptied out uh, tank shell, like an artillery shell from a tank. They used that mm -hmm. as the container, a big brass container. So they make things out of the, the war stuff. But anyway, he told me where to go look around and to mention his name and I'd get the local prices and stuff. And, I was walking around and I thought, oh, tomorrow I'm going to get up early and like walk up this hill to try and see sunset or sunrise because 
uh, Old Town area was in this basin uh, with mountains kind of surrounding it, and it was just beautiful. So I got up early and I, and I walked from the house up to that hill. And at some point going up that hill, there was like, you know, like a wire fence, like you would see in a lot of farmer's fields around here. Um, and at one spot, the wire had been locked, knocked down or something like one of the posts had fallen over or whatever, so I could just step. And I thought, oh, cool. If I just go through here and get up to that peak, then I can watch it from there and it'll be amazing. And um, so I just walked up to the peak across this empty field and then when I got up there I turned around and there's like a sign that says like don't go this way it's a minefield like don't go past this fence and I was just like okay <laughs> sunrise will be good this will be good <laughs> oh my god almost didn't get that sunrise but yeah so the way back was much longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a beautiful so that was analogy that. for life. You know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. You know, walking, strolling through minefields. Mm-hmm. Great little tagline, you know? Yeah. Uh, Not stressful if you don't know it's a minefield. Yeah. Oh, wow. that's wonderful. I, I, I can't help myself, Carrie, and I'm sure you've been holding it in as well, but we have to tackle this. I mean, you can't, you can't leave us dropping bombs like that on the previous podcast without us exploring this a bit further. As you know, I'm a big fan of the supernatural. Um, I was riveted by your, your encounters uh, that you mentioned in the last one. And in our debrief, you actually blew my mind again before departing. Um, and this was in relation to werewolves, or I think as you referred to it as, as dogmen. Could you perhaps yeah. share some insight or experience or what you're aware of with regards to that, because I'm sure our listeners will be absolutely stunned to, to hear and take part in this. Yeah. So I'll start out with a, just a short uh, anecdote from when I lived on the farm that I told you about last time um, where I had light come in the window and stuff. I think I was about, you know, 10 years old or so, maybe a little bit younger, but I was laying on my top bunk and like the window to the back, of the farm was kind of by, beside my feet outside. Like our barn was back there and it had a big floodlight on it that shone on the ground. I couldn't see the roof of the barn because that huge tree was in the way. But um, at the base of the barn, like you, I could see the circle of light. And one time when I looked out there, there was like four or five wolves walking in a circle, like pretty much right on the edge of that circle of light. They were just kind of walking in a circle. This is just on the verge of my memory, but I was like, I don't think we have wolves around here. Like, and I asked people and they said, no, there haven't been wolves around here in like a hundred years. So maybe there were coyotes or who knows, but still very weird. Like why would they be doing that? And why would they stick to the light circle and stuff? And a little while after that, the way my window in that bedroom worked was, you know, if I climbed out that window, it would be about 18 or 20 inches down to the roof of our kitchen. And then okay. that kitchen was roof was on a slant and then it would drop down about 10 feet to our deck. So there was a roof there, but you'd have to get up 10 feet to get on that roof. Uh, the only way to do that would be either jumping and climbing or like climb up our TV antenna tower, which is just bits of metal, you know? So another night I was laying in my bed and um, there was literally a wolf right at my window, looking at me, like showing its teeth and growling. It was scary. AF. <laughs> and I was just like, 
no, 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 no. So I like jumped out of bed and grabbed the blind and pulled the blind down. And shortly after that, I was like, hey, sis, uh, we're trading bedrooms. Like she was too little to know or care. But I was like, I can't face that window anymore. Like in her bedroom, she faced away from the window. And so I just said, mom, dad, I, like I want my sister's bedroom. Like I'm done with this bedroom. I didn't tell them why. Yeah, that scared the crap out of me forever. Um, and it's still like a very vivid memory. Um, I did think about it, but I was like, how the heck could a wolf get up on the roof? This doesn't make any sense. And I heard stories about there are these things called screen memories where um, sometimes people who are abducted say that, you know, they'll have a false memory implanted over what really happened. Like they will think mm-hmm. they saw, you know, a four foot tall owl when, you know, in actual fact, the tallest owl in the world is about 25 inches tall. Mm. You know, So a four foot tall owl doesn't make any sense. But a short alien can could change your perception in a way to make you think they were an owl. And owls have big black eyes, just like the supposed aliens do. Right? So I was like, maybe it was like an alien making me think it's a wolf or something. Like, does that make any sense? Because mm-hmm. we've seen UFOs and things. But I just, you know, there was nothing I could do to come up with anything else about that. But later on, say around 2017, which is, you know, way later than when that happened, I started getting into Bigfoot, which we'll talk about later. But once you start looking into one kind of creature, you start hearing about other kinds of creatures. And somebody said, oh, you should check out this podcast called Dogman Encounters Radio. And I was like, okay, I'll look it up. So I added it to my podcast thing, but their cover art is like a werewolf, like a big honking werewolf. And I was like, oh, this will be interesting. And I think they have about 500 episodes now, and they do sometimes multiple people per episode. But they just interview people who say they've seen a werewolf, basically. But the distinction between a werewolf and a dogman is dogmen don't ever turn into humans. Like they're not, they're not a human turning into a werewolf and then back to a human. It's just always the big honking scary werewolf part. Some of them are smaller and some are larger and they have different traits. Like some have red eyes, some have amber eyes, some have eyes that glow. Some have legs that are like dog legs. Some have legs that are human legs. Some have a huge like Schwarzenegger-esque torso and some have a small dog-like torso but there are just hundreds of these encounters on there and there are other podcasts about it too and some of them you just hear you can hear the fear in these people's voices and Mm. some things about this creature are very sinister let's say Mm. um it's not like it's not a dumb animal it's not a a mindless thing it's all the indications are that it seems to get maximum enjoyment the more fear it generates. Mm -hmm. There are lots of stories that, you know, they're horribly scary. Like it builds up, it builds up. Like maybe it just starts with a scratching on their window and they wonder what that is. Um, And then it's like literally the, the dog man, like jumping on them and pinning them to the ground. And, you know, it's about to rip them apart. And then it just smiles at them with all of its teeth and gets up and walks back into the forest. It's like, I've got you where I want you. I could kill you right now, but I don't have to. I've got all the fear I need. And there's so many stories where, like, it ends with the, the dog man with a sinister smile and, like, just creepy as hell. Anyway, took me took me listening to about, like, 300 of those before I said, hey, dog men have hands, not paws. Like, it could have totally climbed up to my bedroom window if it was, like, a smaller dog man. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I feel like that makes more sense than distorting my perception, but it's a whole lot of unknowns there. But some of these stories are very compelling. There's 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 a one by where there's lots by military people, but very accountable people, um, where like a guy is charged with driving a military food truck, you know, out to this place where they're having exercises, and he's got hundreds and hundreds of pounds of food in the back, and um, yeah, two dogmen basically take over the truck um, and destroy it. And he has to take it back to base. And they're like, what in the hell did you do to our truck? And he's like, uh, werewolves? And they're like, no, 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 no. They're like, <laughs> that's that's not going to cut it, buddy. There's no werewolves here. Um, and then MIBs showed up and like, or men in black, you know, yeah. federal people. And they just said like, go back to your quarters, we'll take care of it. And then he never really heard anything about it from the superiors again. It was just like everybody shut up about it. That story is particularly amazing, and there are lots of other ones um, by you know sheriffs and judges and police officers, and you know people hear or see something scary in the yard, and they call the police. The police come out, like then they see it, and they're like, "Nope, like let's get <laughs> out of here. <laughs> I'm not going after that. Whatever that is." So yeah, that's how I heard about you know werewolves being a thing and some people think it's like genetic manipulation and you know some kind of mm. program to create a super soldier potentially other people mm. think it could be related to nephilim in the bible which is fallen angels which came down and um, interbred with women to create hybrids um, of humans and whatever and also they they there are lots of stories of them getting shot and not being hurt um mm. like some guys were on a four-wheeler and it was running right beside their four-wheeler and actually grabbed onto the the roof part of it or not a four-wheeler side by side grabbed onto the roof part of it and kept running beside them and the one guy had a shotgun because they were out hunting and mm. basically blew off the left part of this thing's chest and it just kept running and got kind of angry didn't phase it i think what chills me to the bone in this account is that the fact you mentioned there's a sinister element like this freaks me out like yeah like yeah. when I hear these things, I think, okay, they're just neutral. <laughs> they they don't want anything to do with me. They're just I'm not gonna bother them. They're not gonna bother me. But like when something you know pounces up in front of my bedroom window and snarling at me, I mean that yeah. that's just hey, I wasn't provoking it. I was laying in bed. Yeah, you know. So I planned to go on a solo camping trip this summer to a place in Ontario that actually has had two dogman sightings because I was gonna try and. <laughs> If I could work up my nerve, I was going to try and stay out in the woods at this location. But um, it, the timing ended up not working out because my wife needed me around. But um, it's about three hours from me. It's a little town. It had two separate dogman sightings by two different people years apart. They were both interviewed on this show. They were scary encounters. One was daytime, one was nighttime. They interviewed them on this podcast, uh, Dogman Encounters Radio. And oh it was like a group of three or four kids, um, like teenagers. So how would you prepare? So if you have the opportunity at some point to go and do this, like, how do you, how do you protect yourself? What kind of recording equipment do you have? Like, how do you prepare for that experience? I don't know, <laughs> I don't know man. Um, I, this is the problem, right? It, like so many of the encounters that I hear or all of them essentially end with the person being really afraid and then it just leaves. Right. Yeah. Um, or something, they might get scratched or something, but they're alive. But the problem is that you're not going to hear from the people who actually got killed. 
because they're they're dead. So <laughs> I'm kind of <laughs> betting on them not not killing um, people, which is maybe a very stupid bet. It's like if there's something completely unbelievable that you could have a chance of seeing, I would kind of like to, you know, just to. I don't want to get eaten or killed, but like some kind of confirmation <laughs> that weird stuff is really going on, you know, beyond UFOs, because I think at this point, a lot of people have seen UFOs. Um, aliens, I think, would still freak me out, but definitely, definitely seeing a werewolf would freak me out and nobody would believe me. They might believe me about aliens, but nobody would believe me about a werewolf or a dogman or a Bigfoot for that matter. But yeah, I don't know how I would prepare. Maybe I would get get like a silver bladed knife or something or you know like the silver bullet thing um but who knows if that stuff works even like yeah you know you, you know curiosity killed the cat right derek you've heard that phrase it's like it's like yeah. you're certainly a braver <laughs> man you're certainly a braver man than me um but I watched a lot of werewolf movies, and apparently the silver bullet does the trick. Um, yeah. Make sure you've got yourself a handgun at least. I can't. You can't get them in Canada, you know. Yeah, it's like where, where do you live? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a concern. You can't even buy pepper spray now because um, it's illegal unless you're using it to defend against a bear or something. Maybe I guess maybe a, technically a werewolf is an animal. Yeah, um, maybe I could get it, but I would have to say it's a bear, not a werewolf. Yeah. I need this for werewolf protection, please. <laughs> we do have bear spray. I don't know. You probably have to be a certain age, and I haven't looked at the ingredients. Uh, but but yeah. we do have bear spray that we can get with a special lock on it, so that uh, oh. so yeah, that might be that might be one thing to pack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty much. <laughs> like if they decide you're done, you're probably pretty done. So I don't know. Maybe you could buy yourself a few seconds, but maybe the spray would just piss it off even more. Uh, pardon my language. Yeah. Yeah. And now for a word from our sponsors. Ready to share your stories and life philosophy? Or capture those of a parent or grandparent? Or maybe a corporate package is right for you to build connection across your workforce and add value to your clients. Visit audiolife.io today to learn more. Our listeners will get 10% off using discount code GIFT10 and order number Audiolife Podcast. Audiolife, where memories find their voice. So, so the encounters that you've heard about where people end up just terrified, like generally speaking, there isn't physical harm. Yeah, very, maybe very few, maybe one or two out of the 500 I've listened to, you know, somebody got, got scratched or whatever. Um, people's pets have gotten killed for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, their dog will try and protect them or something. And that doesn't work out well for the dog. Sometimes people just think it's a big dog crossing your property and then later on they have another encounter with it or some of the scarier ones are like they'll be out hunting they'll see a huge you know wolf type creature and they'll raise their gun up to like either shoot it or to protect themselves then the thing stands up and it's like eight you know between six and ten feet tall and looks at them and its eyes may or may not be glowing and it's ripped and they're just like <laughs> i'm not shooting that my gun is not powerful enough to take that down i i don't know what to do you know, just literally terrified. And if they're lucky, they hop back in their truck and get the heck out of there. Um, there are stories of it running like 80 miles per hour beside the truck. Mm. You know, the person's trying to get away as fast as they can on a road and it just runs beside them. It's like, I can go this fast, you know, no problem. I just can't think of anything scarier than this. And that's why these testimonials, a lot of them are so compelling to listen to. Like, 
so many of the guests have PTSD from the event. The emotion in the voices, I can't, I can't see it being acting. Like these are not paid actors or a scripted thing. And that there are so many out there now um, across the U.S. and across Canada and other places. Um, there are stories from England and Wales and other places. So it's international and it's not as common as Bigfoot sightings, but um, more traumatic. It tends to be more traumatic. That's terrifying. And the majority of the stories you mentioned, they're bipedal. They, they walk on two legs, but they can be on four legs as well. Yeah, and, and and they can go on either. Okay, and a key like differentiator from how I understand it in the myth and the lore is that they're not lycanthropic in, in the fact that the ones that are sighted, they're not transforming from human into wolf. It's more just the big, scary wolf form that, that's been seen. Yeah, and there, there are different types of them. Uh, some of them are will be like, they'll have dog legs and a dog torso. Their hands will be more raccoonish, but not huge. Mm-hmm. And their eyes would be, let's say, amber. And those would tend to be the smaller ones. It's like a dog who can walk upright and use hands to manipulate things. Mm. And then there are the ones that are more humanoid, where it's like they have human-type legs, not dog-type legs. They have a great big human-type torso and hands with uh, claws on them. Their heads are humongous. And the way people describe it, they say... Um, it's either got yellow, like amber or red eyes, which may or may not be glowing from inside, like not reflecting light, but actually emitting light. Mm-hmm. And um, they have more teeth than should you should be able to fit in its mouth. Mm-hmm. And they said they're, they're all like the canine teeth. I mean, obviously they're canine teeth if it's a wolf, <laughs> but um, I mean the longer, sharper teeth. Yeah. Like there's no more. Yeah. It's all the sharp teeth. Um, and they're like, like it's just nightmare fuel all all the way, yeah. you know. Um, and sometimes also when when they're going from four legged posture to two legged, you'll hear like snapping and crackling, mm. like as if their bones and and cartilage and stuff is reconfiguring, mm. um, which would just yeah add to the spine tinglingness of the whole event, right? Yeah, I mean, I I literally have some goosebumps on my arms uh, listening to that, so it's uh it's having an effect. You have dropped a couple of times in this uh, this conversation, uh, Bigfoot. Maybe let's transition a little bit into your experience where I think you actually have made it into the woods uh, trying to find Bigfoot. Yeah. So tell us about that. Yeah. So I grew up you know, on a hobby farm and I spent all, essentially all my free time in the woods. I never saw anything strange out there. I just loved being in the woods and, you know, moving away to go to university and then moving to Toronto and stuff, I completely lost the habit of going in the woods because <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't as easy as walking out my back door. anymore. But yeah. um, I had always been interested in strange things, as you know, and um, I kind of made a habit um, when I was a kid of like, if we're driving somewhere, I was bored. So I would just look out the window and I would always be looking in the forest to like, see if I could see a Bigfoot, <laughs> Right. <laughs> even though I didn't really think they were around, but like I didn't have anything else to do anyway. And I still still did that to this day. If we're driving like a long distance past a lot of forest, I would just kind of be checking out the forest. Like I hadn't really looked into Bigfoot in a long time. My focus had primarily been on UFOs. In 2017, I was browsing around Netflix and I saw this documentary called uh, Discovering Bigfoot by a guy named Todd Standing. I was like, yeah, why not? Let's, let's check it out. So I hit play and he is in Alberta 
and he goes way deep on logging roads and um, then off the logging roads just into the woods in the middle of nowhere. He presented some really compelling full HD video of these Sasquatch or Bigfoot. And I was just like, what the heck? I've never seen video this clear ever. <laughs> you know, there's that 1967 mm. footage of the Patterson-Gimlin film where, where this Bigfoot is walking across um, sort of a rocky wooded, wooded area in California. But since then, since then, I hadn't seen anything compelling. And I was just blown away. And, and he went on to say like, oh, yeah, they make these like they'll make huge wooden teepees out of like sticks and logs or they'll bend trees over in an arch and stick the end of it in the ground and hold, hold the end down, you know, with some other sticks and things. It was a good movie. Like I suggest watching it, but I was just like, okay, this was to me really compelling stuff, but I wonder what people who are into Bigfoot on the internet think about it. Like, do they think this guy is a jokester? Do they think like this is good stuff? So I decided to Google reviews of the movie and I found a review by this uh, YouTuber named Utah Sasquatch. He said, yeah, you know, I think this is legit, but you don't have to go to the middle of northern Alberta off a logging road to see these things. Um, he lived in Utah and he said, I just went into the mountains. So you want to find somewhere with lots of cover, prey animals and somewhere that has a water supply. Really, that's all you need. And I messaged him and I was like, so this is all I got to do is like go find an area that has those things and go look. He's like, yeah. I was like, okay. So it was like lunchtime and I was just like, okay. So I got in my car because I knew there was a park nearby that had all that stuff and wasn't very busy. Like nobody went there really. It's a conservation zone. So I went there. He basically said, go there to an area that has that stuff and just go off trail and you'll start finding this stuff. So I drove literally five minutes from my house, which isn't where I live now. And I parked my car. I walked down the trail. And I got about halfway down the trail and I just turned left and went into the woods. Ten feet into the woods, there's like a big log suspended between two trees. It's like this tree has a Y in it and this tree has a Y in it. And there's a big log has been wedged in there with its roots at one side and, you know, the rest of the tree going across. So somehow the roots of this tree got pulled out or the tree got pulled out by its roots and put up. I was just like, oh, whatever, like probably the tree fell over and just leverage or whatever. It lifted the roots up. And so I kept going. And then I found like a tree that's kind of fallen over. It's kind of at a 45 degree angle still. I found a spot where there was all these sticks leaning against that angled tree as if to create like a lean to shelter. Um, so one side of it's open. The other side is sheltered by all these leaning sticks. And I keep going. I find a teepee that's like made out of sticks. It's not enough to shelter you from the weather, but it's like definitely a thing that has been built by putting all these sticks around in like a, a cone shape and it has an entrance. I just kept finding this stuff and I was like, what in the world? This is the first time I've ever looked. What are the odds he would tell me to look for this and I would go and look for this and find it. So I was like, okay, yeah. I'm going somewhere else. I'm going somewhere else. I went to Google Maps same day, right? <laughs> I'm like, so I find this other forest that's nearby. I drive there, get out of my car, go in. Literally same thing. I was instantly, instantly totally hooked with like, what in the world is going on? And I went to maybe nine or different, nine or 10 different places around London. Nine of them, I found that stuff. Like without even hardly having to look. And some people are like, oh yeah, Boy Scouts, whatever. It's gotta be Boy Scouts. And I'm like, 
Don't you, do you think humans would make something that's like a little bit waterproof or <laughs> windproof even? Like these are very wind-friendly structures, right? It's not, you're not blocking anything. It might, you might stop someone from seeing you, but it's not blocking weather. And also I kept finding them. Like at this point now, current day, I have about 1200 photos and videos of these things from all around London, but also um, we have a family cottage by Ipperwash Beach. Um, and all around there, I found more. As soon as I looked there, I found them. And it's like, there doesn't appear to be any limit to this stuff. And then I found people online who are also documenting these structures. And I talked to them. Um, and this one lady is like a teacher. And she finds them all over the place. And she videos them and puts them up on her YouTube channel. She finds even more incredible stuff happens because she checks on them so often. She has shown humongous structures made out of thousands of pieces of wood and sticks. And she'll go back the next day sometimes, and it will be moved 50 feet over the other <laughs> way. What Boy Scout is going to do that? Mm. There's no purpose to moving it 50 feet. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe if you had no job and no society to participate in, <laughs> and <laughs> you lived in the woods, like, yeah, maybe it's a little bit prettier 50 feet that way, or there's a better energy alignment or something. Like, who knows? But nobody's going to spend the hours and hours and hours and hours that takes and do it in a single night to move it. Like, or in my own case, um, I had this area that had like five or six of these structures and I went back this past summer and they're all just gone. And I was like, what? They've been here for like since 2017, they've been evolving and slowly changing, whatever. But since 2017, they're all gone. Then I went back as soon as I could. I needed more time. And I thought I'll explore the rest of this forest. There was an area of the forest that was like too thick for me to get through. And I thought, maybe I'll walk around to the other side of the forest and come in from the other side. And I went in there and like, I don't know, I'm 50 feet down the trail and I see a structure over there. So I go check it. And from that one, I can see another one. From that one, I can see another one. And there's like five or six in there. Like ones I either didn't know about or that had just been built. But they're different kinds of structures and they're built in a different way. And it was just like, what? It's like they just moved this little family village to a different part of the forest. That's me finding some evidence. And I have some, what I think is interaction I can talk about after, but you definitely have a question hanging. Yeah. What, what really surprises me is the hit rate. Cause you know, when people put you on these quote unquote wild goose chase, I'm looking for something that I don't think I'm going to get any evidence of. You had tremendous yeah. success, you know, with evidence, like, nine out of nine times like what the heck's going on it wasn't even difficult. that's it like like that's it but but i have to say like this is part of my interest i said okay these things are there they're moving you you guys have hundreds of photos and videos yourself let alone the community and so on yeah what about like setting some 24 hour you know video capture to see mm. what's actually going on who's moving them who's building them or has the yep. community you know investigated yeah. it that way because like I'm like it's oh, yeah. there and it's in many places. Let's get to the bottom yep. of this. They have tried everything you can possibly think of. Like sometimes they can get them on a thermal camera mm -hmm. um, if they're out, you know, at night actively trying to check out, um, trying to find Bigfoot. Occasionally they'll they'll get lucky with a little bit of thermal footage. One problem is the thermal cameras tend to have very low resolution, like 240 by 160 pixels. 
for ones that are, you know, mostly affordable. Um, so everything is very fuzzy. Trail cameras are not very expensive. They work in the dark. They work using infrared light. So they're, the way they can see in the night is by uh, shooting out infrared light and using a, you know, an infrared filter on the lens, I think, is how it works. But that means it's projecting out a type of light humans can't see. But the working theory is that Sasquatch can see infrared light because mm. they avoid these things like the plague. It's like nobody catches anything on the trail cams, but also their trail cams will be disabled or removed. And there's no photos of who moved it. One person had them out. They think Sasquatch banging on their house and stuff, and they were just really getting sick of it. So they surrounded their house in these trail cameras. They didn't know they had a blind spot or two. What happened was wherever the infrared light couldn't reach anymore, there were sticks on the ground at the edge of their yard. And it was like somebody or something went there and said, yep, as long as you're behind this stick, you're safe. They can't see it. And lots of people have, like, they'll put a trail camera out and they'll find it just sitting on the ground with its lens, you know, on the ground. And they go watch the footage and something comes from behind the tree that the trail camera's on and like takes it off and puts it on the ground, lands down. And then they take the food or the bait or whatever the people had left out. Also, people will leave, leave out presents. Sometimes it's called the process called gifting because they'll want to have some kind of interaction. They start leaving out apples and they'll, they'll come back and like, the apples will be gone. So then they put up a trail camera focused on the apples mm -hmm. and they'll come back and their trail camera will be down and the apples will be gone. And then they're like, okay, I'm going to put uh, a jar of peanut butter out there. They don't get any footage, but when they look at the jar of peanut butter, um, the lid is still on it, but they unscrew the lid and there's like scoops taken out of the peanut butter, but then they put the lid back on. Even okay, maybe raccoons could get into your peanut butter and eat the peanut butter, but they're not putting the lid back on. That doesn't make any sense. And you need thumbs to be able to put a lid back on in the first place. So there's lots of things that people have tried that is, you know, you'd think they would be able to get it. One researcher named Christopher Noel, I believe he's in Vermont, and he's got a place near where he lives where he does some interaction with them. And there's one that's always kind of like, hitting on wood with, with sticks or something, and he calls the, the Sasquatch drummer. He took a fiber optic camera and sort of embedded it in a log and then buried the cable like 100 or 200 feet over to a digital recorder that he buried in the ground. Like, the recorder is far from where the camera is. The camera has got moss and stuff around it. It's embedded in an old log, and he's just trying to get footage of this thing. And from the day he did that, like, the whole forest went dead. For like, he never heard drummer anymore. He never got, sometimes Sasquatch will throw things at you or near you, like little acorns or pine cones or whatever. Just if you're sitting around a fire, you'll get these incoming things. And all indications are that they're interested in people. They're just afraid of them. But anyway, mm -hmm. he didn't get anything thrown at him. Just no interaction at all from that day. And I think it was about a year or 18 months later, he was like, well, that experiment didn't work. So he went and took apart the camera took the recorder out, kind of said, okay, sorry, I get the message. Like, <laughs> you don't want this camera here. I got it. And he took it back. And I think it was the next time he went out, they, he, he got the sounds again. He got the stick clicking on the wood um, or banging on the wood. He got little pine cones and stuff thrown again. It was like, they're back right away. And he was just like, okay, message received, right? 
And since I mentioned this part about acorns and things, well, I had someone tell me that they're very curious about humans and they want to check you out, but they're afraid to. So if you want to see them, what you got to do is put all the odds in their favor and not in yours, which also sounds like a very bad idea. So he's like, go out when there's a new moon, which means there's no moon in the sky. There's no moonlight. Ideally, there would be no, there would be clouds. So there's also no starlight. Go to an area where you found these structures and stuff, but go in a clearing. So you can kind of be in the middle of this clearing and they can be in the forest for cover. They have much better night vision than we do. So they'll be able to see you unobscured by anything and you won't be able to see them because they'll be covered by trees, but you might get little things thrown at you. You might hear them. Um, they have very distinct sounds. You know, you might get some interaction that way. Just sit there and hang out. You don't have to go looking for them at all. Just sit there and hang out. They know you're there. I was like, okay. So I thought I'll go back to the first place where I ever found these things. There was a clearing there and there's a pond behind the clearing and actually a creek in front of the clearing. So they would be on the other side of this little creek in the forest. And I'd be sitting in this, in this uh, clearing area. And so I went there at 2.30 in the morning on a new moon with cloud cover. It was black, black, black out. Like, <laughs> I couldn't see a thing after a while. Like, I walked up and down the trail, and I ended up in the middle. I came back to the middle. I waited a bit. It, may, it was only maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Like, and I started hearing these really loud, heavy footsteps. Then I started hearing some branches breaking, like loud snaps. I'm like, okay, I'm getting a little bit freaked out here. And then I heard something whiz by my head and splash in the pond right behind me. You know the sound a rock makes when you throw it in water? Mm -hmm. It's ploosh or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then another one. And they're coming within about two feet of my head. And they're I'm guessing they're about softball size based on the splash they made. So I got five of these big rocks whiz past my head from probably 150 feet away across this clearing across the creek in the woods oh it was also it was zero degrees outside so it was 2 30 in the morning pitch black zero degrees very cold so it threw that stuff at me and then the footsteps started moving again and it was going towards where my car was parked i lost my complete nerve at that point i was like i am out of here so fast it's not even funny <laughs> and so I ran and before I could get to my car, I got in my car and, and took off. And I was like, damn it. Why did I leave? I was trying to see this thing, but I just got so viscerally afraid. It was ridiculous. <laughs> then I bought a thermal headset, which was like 3000 bucks, 3,500. And I went out there again and, and I was looking and I saw an animal or something by the water and I was watching it for a while. I couldn't tell what it was, but it was small and it was late at night again. It was around the same time on a new moon and then i got two or three more of those big rocks lobbed very close to me i got scared again and i was using the thermals and i couldn't see anything in the forest like i couldn't see any heat signatures so i don't know what was throwing them or where from but i just was like i gotta get out of here and then about a month later i went back on the next new moon and like just apologized for using the thermals i was like hey sorry about that i i, I just got this feeling like People had told me, I think, that you're like being disrespectful by trying to see them or capture them on film or whatever. And I was like, you know what? That sounds right to me. Like they're just chilling in their space. Um, so I won't do that anymore. I'll, I won't try to capture them anymore. 
after I said, sorry, I had, I didn't have anything else thrown at me and I still haven't. So that was like four years mm. ago. I, have, I don't get anything thrown at me anymore. Now, sometimes when I go into the forest, there will be like arrangements of sticks on the ground that are arranged in a certain way. Like a couple of weeks ago when I went to the forest, there's, I'm just walking on a path and I go off the path into the forest and like just this random spot in the forest, there's like, you know, a golden ratio nautilus. Uh, like spiral mm-hmm. made out of sticks mm-hmm. on the floor of the forest, not on the trail. Somebody's taken tons of little sticks and made this nice novelist design. Yeah, and these structures are always coming, going, disappearing, and moving, and big ones, little ones. I have lots of ki- pictures of my kids playing in them. Um, um, so it's just really intriguing. And then I became an admin of a gr- of a Facebook group called Bigfoot Canada, where we have like over twenty thousand members now. People telling their sightings and asking for more information. And I've met people through that who have had various interactions with Sasquatch, some of them up close. And there's also, I mean, this is a whole other can of worms, which I won't fully go into, but I'll say there's two or three camps in the Bigfoot community. One says they're like an undiscovered ape, basically. One says they may be aliens or fallen angels. Um, people have seen them at the same time as seeing UFOs. And then there's other people who just say they're interdimensional because there are lots of witnesses who have seen them appear out of nothing or disappear into nothing. Or there's a good video of this actually, where one is peeking out from behind a tree, like looking at this person and the person sees them and, and like is taking a video of, of this black silhouette peeking out from behind a tree but the silhouette is humongous and this tree is about four inches wide. And (laughs) so he starts getting closer videoing and it just goes behind the the tree and it's the whole thing isn't gone. You're just like, you can't hide something that big behind a four inch diameter tree. There are lots of many cases where there's photos of this and video of this where, um, you know, they'll be following a set of footprints that just look like very large human barefoot footprints. And they'll just end like in the middle of a field. Like, mm. why aren't there more footprints here? It's the rest of the field is just as muddy as this part, but the footprints just stop. Or yeah. they'll be walking along and they'll just see a trail of them start in the middle of nowhere. And so that is, people think maybe that's them just popping into this dimension. Or it could be like a UFO dropping them off or picking them up. But they go right. somewhere and there aren't any trees or things for them to jump into. And I'm feeling I'm in crazy talk <laughs> land now, but um, yeah, this is just after I've been looking into it since 2017 and it, you know, things keep getting more and more interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually admiring your adventurous spirit as I listen to you, even if you've <laughs> kind of chickened <laughs> out and had to go back again, I can hear your passionate curiosity for this. And I love how adventurous you are. I have a question because I feel like there's probably an answer that you have to this. So tell mm-hmm. us about a time that's maybe the funniest thing that's happened to you that no one else witnessed. Uh, I'm just debating whether or not I can say that to anyone. Maybe there's a reason. Yeah. <laughs> there's a reason no one else was there to witness this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Uh oh. I didn't mean to go wherever that is. <laughs> oh man. 
Well, how about this one? What's the weirdest conversation you've ever overheard? So maybe some people are talking about something strange, something funny, something quirky. You're probably not supposed to be listening, but you've heard it. Oh, man. my You know what? My memory is very good for things that I'm like super into and it's or or possibly useless facts. Um, but my wife will be the first one <laughs> to tell you that I can't remember anything. Um, I was walking home in Toronto one day. Um, we, I lived at Queen and John, I think, by the by the big theater there in Club District. And there was this, like a Starbucks on the corner and this lady was sitting out on the patio. And she just stopped me and wanted to talk. Probably 90 minutes later, I had heard every aspect of this woman's very horrible life of abuse. Mm-hmm. She just unloaded everything on me. And I was just like, man, you don't know me from anyone. And maybe that's why you were able to do that. But that was a lot. And, and so, yeah, it wasn't like a funny thing I overheard. That's for sure. But it was just like randomly someone pulled me off the sidewalk kind of mm-hmm. was like, hey, yeah, you want to chat? And I was like, sure, let's chat. And then it was like, boom, boom. Um, that was intense for sure. Um, I like being a person people can talk to, but, you know. I also like to be prepared and like, of course, you know, I have some idea of what I'm getting into. That, that conflicts with the be open to everything thing. So uh-huh. I don't know. I, it's, I maybe it helped her just getting that off her chest. You're a very receptive person. Yeah. And so probably that opens you up to all, you know, different types of openings, right? Some are maybe negative stories, some are positive stories, but you're an open you know, receiver. Um, but yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was getting at. Like, and I think that's something in that as well. You know, strangers can feel more open to share with other strangers. So, um, mm. really an awkward one and a very intense one. So, thank thanks for sharing that one. Yeah, and and not to not to end on a, a a lower note, but maybe that's a good point for us to end for today. Sure. My my mind's still reeling from the 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 tree structures and the and the the terrifying dogmen. So. Um, this has been uh, another mind-blowing episode with Derek. I'm not sure. I was just sort of getting my regular sleeping pattern back from the the last extra <laughs> reveal. Um, now I won't be not being able to sleep because of you know existential reasoning or curiosity. Now it will be just straight up terror because uh, I mean those canine teeth. <laughs> Mouthful staring at me. Nope, I ain't dealing with that. Well, I won't invite you to go camping with me at that <laughs> spot. Derek, I'm I'm confident that there are many many more stories we didn't uncover today, but it's always a pleasure to chat with you. I just want to thank you for joining us again on the Storyteller series and sharing so much with our listeners today. My pleasure. It's a fun trip down memory lane. Wow, he is a true storyteller. You know, I really think the key to Derek's adventures is his openness, like his, his, his curiosity and his adventurous nature. And he's also really well informed. Like he researches, he deep dives, he buys the equipment. It's led to quite a myriad of life experiences. Gafor, what was the highlight for you from this conversation? I mean, I just think his, his braveness and his courage and his seriousness about his passion. I always am, you know, Super excited when people have something they're passionate about because it gets me excited about it. Now, I have never gone out and searched for Bigfoot. 
I'm still on the fence about whether one exists or not. But what I'm deeply inspired by is his bravery to go out in the middle of the night, 2.30 a.m., to a forest by himself. Right. And despite yeah. projectiles being hurled at him, you know, rocks and stuff, <laughs> and he still persists and get this. That's all right. It happens once. What does he do? He goes and does it again and again. So I, know. I think that's I know. the thing that I was most impressed at, you know, like he's really dedicated in, you know, finding out and searching and, you know, being curious and open and not just an armchair, you know, documentary watcher like like myself. So that has a part that interests me the most about this yeah. interview. And I appreciate that Derek was able to tell us something that maybe wasn't the most funniest or positive. Maybe it was a very intense story. But um, yeah, I think those are the remarkable parts. So, you know, I listened to the first part of Derek's uh, our first episode with Derek. And, you know, he talks about so much incredible, crazy things. But you know what was the story that stuck out for me, Carrie? The one where he shared where he went to school and he was like, you know, it was a very vulnerable and intimate story about, um, you know, he had yeah. a bit of a rough time in school and he was being bullied a bit. And he talked about like, you know, going in one day, he was fed up and full of rage. And I think that was the most impactful story that he told for me. It wasn't so fancy. Yeah. Very real story. It didn't involve UFOs or energy connecting and anything like that. But I just think the visceral yeah. nature and the, the authenticity and, and, and just the pure openness to reveal something as intimate as that, that was the one that affected me most. I, I was affected by that one too. And I, I, I mean, it really was, it stuck with me. I've thought about it over and over. I think, what I like about, uh, you know, as you said, his openness to share it, his honesty about a really hard situation. Um, but what I what I love is he has young girls at home now, mm -hmm. right? And he's taken so many learnings from that situation into how he how he talks to his girls, how he uh, gives them coping mechanisms, right? How he really is making sure that he can do everything he can, aware that kids and, and people in the world have these experiences going on that maybe they aren't sharing or they don't know how to handle. Mm -hmm. And he's doing everything he can to, to particularly with his daughters, um, make sure that they're not in that situation and that when, if, and when they are, they know what to do to handle themselves. As we wrap for today, I just want to thank everyone for listening today. We're audio life. And this is the storyteller series. If you like what you heard today, check out our memoir series or the Founders series on your favorite podcast apps. And thanks for joining us. Gafor, it's always a pleasure. I'm Carrie signing off for today. Thank you, Carrie. This is Gafor Masood signing off from Audio Life. If you like what you heard today, consider recording your own Audio Life private podcast or giving one to a loved one for a unique and memorable gift. Today, Audio Life listeners will receive 10% off using discount code GIFT10 and order number Audio Life Podcast. Also, remember to rate our show and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.